Welcome to the Product Podcast, brought to you by Product School. Here, you'll get fresh insight from the people at the very top of the tech companies who make the products we love. Remember, you can learn product management live online. Visit productschool.com to discover our new certificate path. There, you can also join the world's largest community of PMs and network with the leaders from these podcasts at our online events. There's something happening almost every day. Hey everyone, my name is Carlos and I'm the founder and CEO of Product School. Today we have a very special guest on the show because surprisingly it's not a product person, although she works very closely with product leaders. Her name is Alisa Rosendahl and she is the VP of sales at WalkMe. So let's get things started. Hi Alisa, how are you doing? Hi Carlos, thanks for having me. Thank you for being literally the very first <laughs> non-product person on the product podcast. It's a big honor. So why don't you tell me a little bit more about how you got started? Sure. Yeah, I don't think I ever set out to have a career in sales. Um, I went to school in Rhode Island at uh, Brown University and thought I wanted to be a lawyer. So studied political science, was studying for the LSAT. And then I went to New York for a weekend my senior year and met a woman at a party who said, hey, I'm at this thing called a startup. Um, this was back in 2005, so we didn't really have SaaS startups yet, but it essentially was a SaaS startup. Um, do you know what you're doing when you graduate? Why don't you come check us out? And I literally went by on Monday morning. They were operating you know, in a warehouse with cardboard boxes and just said, we just need people. Can you just join and answer phones? And I said, sure, this looks really interesting. Um, so I took that job right out of college at a company called Capital IQ, which essentially is a SaaS financial data platform, um, and ended up kind of finding my way into sales there. When I joined, I was literally just answering the phones, kind of a client support representative. And I was watching the guys on the sales floor. And I say guys is predominantly guys. Um, and they looked like they were having so much fun and uh, closing deals. And I just thought, I want to I wanna give that a try. Um, so I went and I, um, I pitched the VP sales there on, on giving me a shot at a sales role. And this is back in 2005, 2006. Um, you know, I, uh, a little old school, but I came in one day and there was literally a plane ticket on my desk and a French English dictionary. And he said, it was a ticket to Montreal. And he said, here's your territory, go see what you can do. So I, uh, I got the Quebec region as my territory um, and uh, ended up working that for five years and, and growing that business from about a million ARR when I inherited it. And uh, by the time I left, I had opened an office in Toronto with six people, had 15 million in ARR, had built a whole Canadian business. Um, and I was hooked. I just loved sales from that point and have uh, been doing it ever since. It's kind, of, it's kind of addictive, isn't it? Like once you feel that they close your first deal, it's hard to forget that feeling. It really is. There's um, there's nothing quite like it, you know, and and people always ask me, isn't it really stressful having a number over your head and having a quota and uh, and there's such extreme accountability in sales and you get rejected and you're told no, like how can you show up every day and keep doing it? And it's really it's yes, it's a bit of an emotional roller coaster and it's got highs and it's got lows, but the highs are so amazing and, and closing a deal and the, the teamwork around it and hitting your number and making your company successful. I don't think there's a thrill quite like it out there. So yes, moving forward in your career, you've obviously have an incredible track record working for some of the best SaaS products for product people, such as Mixpanel, Envision, now WalkMe. So kind of tell me a little more about your story working on, on SaaS products and, and interacting directly with product people. Sure. So the first thing I'll say is um, 
my, my tactic or my trick for finding great companies has always been to ask product people what products they love. So, um, you know, the way I found Mixpanel was I literally went on Quora and I typed in which companies have great products, but no sales teams. And I came back with Mixpanel, GitHub and Asana were the three that people brought up at that time. I think it was like 2009. And I reached out to all three. I sent all three CEOs a cold email saying, hey, are you interested in hiring a salesperson? And all three responded. Yes, actually, we are. And um. And I talked to all of them and mixed panel. I just really, uh, really resonated with me. I really loved what they were doing. It seemed really unique. Um, so joined mixed panels, employee number eight. Um, and, uh, you know, it was me and seven engineers basically in a walk up and, uh, and stayed there for almost five years and built the whole sales org. Um, and then when I was looking for my next gig, I asked my, my little brother, who's an engineer um, and a, a UX designer, what's your favorite product right now? And he said, Envision. Envision's where it's at. So I reached out to Envision. And this is sort of how I found my gigs every step of the way is just reaching out and asking people what products do they love. Um, and then similarly with WalkMe, I'd heard really good things about WalkMe. It sounded really interesting. And having worked at Mixpanel and hearing the, you know, um, I have all this data, but what do I do with it? How do I actually make the product better? And so um, WalkMe spoke to me on that level. Um, but yeah, I've sort of relied on the expertise of all the product people and engineers and front end developers and UX designers that I interact with to tell me where to go work. Because as a salesperson, the best thing you can do for yourself and your career is choose a great product to sell, right? That's really what makes a great career is if you believe wholeheartedly in what you're selling, there's good product market fit, the product works. Um, you know, that's that for me is the holy grail. So that's sort of how I've, I've chosen the companies along the way. And I think that's a really good point because there's this myth, um, especially in Silicon Valley or in general in, in tech companies that you have to build a, a good product or a great product and then customers will come. And uh, actually best products have the best marketing and sales team because you also have to, to hit the market. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's a really interesting point. Um, you know, I know there, there, there are the rare outlier unicorns that have mastered this, like Atlassian, everyone likes to point out, they never hired salespeople and they were successful. It's definitely an anomaly. Um, and salespeople can uplevel your game a lot. So, you know, I think a lot of founders I talk to or product people say, why do we even need salespeople? Why don't we just build a totally self-service product where you come and you just swipe your credit card and you use it. And that, that can work. And that's what Mixpanel was doing before I joined, right? So they got to about 10 million in ARR with no sales or marketing. It was just organic word of mouth, swipe your credit card, you know, monthly pay as you go. And that worked up to a point. But once you start getting big enough where you're talking more than, you know, $10,000 annually, 10,000 of ARR, we call it in sales, um, annual recurring revenue, you're talking contracts, um, you really start to need salespeople out there in the front lines to get commitments and build that trust with customers. And then you especially need it when, oh, sorry, one second, my daughter just ran in. Not a good time, Ellie. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, thank you. Um, you especially need it when the joys of working from home right now. Um, you especially need it when the product, when the industry starts to get a little bit competitive. Um, so, uh, you know, when you talk about differentiation, when you talk about, um, you know, how do you fight the commoditization of certain products, really anyone at this point in time can go online and Google. You know, what's the difference between mixed panel and another product? What are the best analytics products? And that's where the salesperson has to level up the conversation where it's not just about features. 
It's about value. It's about customer journey. It's about reliability and trust and understanding. And that's where salespeople can really bring a lot to the table. Um, so I think in a nutshell, when you're starting out and you're really early and you're testing out your product and you just want sort of quick feedback and don't want to invest in a sales team because we are expensive, um, that's where self-service is, is great and useful. But as you start to scale beyond that, and especially as you go up market to bigger contracts, salespeople become a, a necessary evil for better or worse. Absolutely. And, and you said you're expensive. Well, you also pay for yourself, right? So I think it's about value. Um, many ways. So actually you, you are the VP of sales and I want to double click on that because you, you said that on Mixpanel you, you started as the first salesperson where you're basically the account executive and the VP of sales at the same time. Obviously WorkMe is a much larger organization today as you are the VP of sales. So can you tell me a bit more about what it means to be a VP of sales at a fast growing company? Sure. Um, so the, the title will vary a bit according to the size of the company. So if you're, if you're talking a startup, it literally might just be the one salesperson there. Typically at a bigger company, a VP sales is at least a second line manager. So you've got uh, your managing managers who then manage uh, account executives. Um, and basically the bigger the company, the higher up that title might go. Um, so they might be third or even fourth line management. Um, but basically the idea is I've got a number, I've got a quota that I'm carrying and it's the roll up of all the account executives underneath me, right? So my quota, you know, could be call it $20 million this year. And that is a roll up of all the sales reps um, and their managers below me who, um, you know, roll up into my organization. Uh, I, it also sometimes can mean that you are managing renewals, which, um, which I, I, do manage at WalkMe. Um, not all VP sales manage renewals as well. Sometimes that's a separate organization. It can mean customer success. Um, it can mean sales engineering. It can mean sales operations. That does vary a little bit from organization to organization. And I guess that getting uh, your first sales job, obviously based on ability to close this, to hustle, but as you grow in your career and you also have to be responsible for managing larger accounts, managing relationships, managing people dynamics, what do you think are the, the key skills that help you grow from an individual contributor to a sales leader? Yeah, that's a great question. And I would say that was probably the hardest transition in my entire career. Um, you know, I just, I was, I was a great sales rep, you know, I killed it. I loved it. I was crushing my number. You have total control of everything you do. And then I got promoted to be a manager um, and my first management role was at Mixpanel and SMB. So running the really small transactional um, team. And I learned pretty quickly that the skills that make you great at sales don't necessarily make you great at leading, right? They're very different. Um, and as a salesperson, I was just, I was a little bit um, selfish. All that matters is my deals, getting my deals through, getting the resources I need. And I learned as a leader that that, didn't, that does not work. <laughs> you need to have really great, strong foundational relationships with products, with marketing, with uh, account management, customer success. Cross-functionally, you need to be very well aligned with the entire organization to make your sales team successful. And that was a really steep learning curve to me. And it's the biggest advice I give anyone uh, entering sales or leadership. Sorry, she always knows when I'm on an important call and, and comes in to give me a kiss right at that time. So we're actually getting more viewers when those moments happen. So please, Perfect. welcome. The reality of being a mom in the workforce right now. <laughs> um, 
So great. So hopefully that answered your question around from the IC, the leadership role. And you're asking what skill sets are important. Um, I think uh, for me, it was really learning. Someone gave me the advice. Um, your team is not the people that report into you. The team is the leadership team that you work with. And that really resonated with me and landed with me. I think naturally I tend to fight for the people that, that report to me. And I had to learn that that's not always the best way to get what you want and be effective as a leader. You have to learn how to work with all of the cross-functional uh, leaders um, and figure out the best way to collaborate with them. And that in turn will, will make you empowered and empower your team. I think that's a, that's a great point. And, um, not in, especially now these days that we see this trend where you've obviously we all heard about product-led growth and how products can help you qualify some of the leads. In some cases, those, those leads or users might convert directly and, as you said, swipe their credit card and, and become paid customers. But I've actually seen that the most successful even product-led growth companies that still offer freemium plans or a self-serve option, they also have strong sales function that can personalize offers and build a relationship, especially with larger customers. Yeah. And that's a, you know, that's a really interesting one because I think if you ask me as a salesperson, should you have a hybrid of both self-service and sales? I would say no, because it makes my life a lot harder, <laughs> but I, I mean, a lot of organizations do it. So Envision's a great example. They have a self-service um, offering, and then they also have a, you know, one that you can interact with salespeople, the enterprise offering. It definitely makes the job harder for your salespeople because you're competing against your own company. So um, my advice is usually pick one or the other, either go self-service or go field sales. When you have the hybrid, your salespeople are going to spend a lot of their time and energy competing against your self-service offering, which is really hard and um, maybe not as productive. So that's, that's usually my advice, but there might be a period there where there's some overlap as you do the transition because again, salespeople are expensive and it's hard to move completely from a self-service model to a field rep model. Um, another thing that I really want to touch on with you, because it's very common in the product world, like this relationship between sales and product, right? It's constant thing of, oh my God, sales sold, sold a dream to someone and now here we are, all the developers, designers and engineers have to make magic. So tell me a little bit more about, about that and how you think are the best ways to develop a very good relationship between product and sales? Yeah, the million dollar question. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, I will say, I don't think I have this totally figured out. I've seen five different you know, SaaS companies now and everyone approaches this a little bit differently. I think my advice is start from a place of mutual respect and understanding. Salespeople ultimately, despite our reputations, are not out to screw over the customer. It's not in our interest right? We make money when we bring in a customer who's happy and renews and engages and continues to buy from us. Um, and if you pull salespeople, you know, especially the, the SaaS salespeople you see in Silicon Valley are sophisticated elite sellers. You know, they are looking to build long-term partnerships with their customers and they care deeply about setting them up for success. Not everybody, but the great majority. And if you can start off with that mindset that the salesperson is not actually selling a bad deal or just pushing this through to get paid. The salesperson cares about their customer. I think it's a much more constructive place and framework to start from. Um, so that's just my advice in terms of thinking and interacting with salespeople. Um, the second thing is we're your front lines. Like we're in the trenches all day, every day, interacting with customers and prospects. So we're the first ones to hear when your competitors have a new feature. We're the first ones to hear if we, you know, there are two or three 
prospects asking for the same feature, we're going to hear that and we're going to process it. Um, you know, it was great. I was actually having a conversation with my CEO, uh, Dan, last week, um, and he's he does a really great job of listening, listening to customer feedback um, and takes the sales feedback really near and dear to heart, which is actually one of the reasons I wanted to work at WalkMe. Um, and we were we were on the a call and, you know, someone, uh, um, one of the product leaders on the call was pointing to all the metrics. Yeah, but the, the survey data says this and yeah, but the KPI say that. And then Dan said, you know what? You know what my KPI is? It's Elisa. If she's telling me this product isn't good, this product isn't good. You know, and I was like, thank you so much, Dan. <laughs> but it's true. If, if I'm hearing it over and over again, or my reps are hearing it over and over again, where there's smoke, there's a fire, right? So, you know, from, from the sales perspective, again, we want to make our customers successful. We want a good product to sell. That's all we care about. We are completely aligned with you. You know, yes, we get paid when we sell deals, but that doesn't mean we want to sell bad deals or screw up our customers. You know, the valley is small and your career is long and we run into our customers over and over again. We want to be trusted, right? So if you think about your sales reps that way and think about the feedback they're bringing you from that mindset, I think it can be much more productive. Um, and then the other thing I'll say finally is just uh, get in the calls with your reps, <laughs> you know, like join, join their deals, get in their cycles. If a customer churns, call the customer and ask them why they churn and be open-minded and ask why. Um, get in there with us, roll up your sleeves and get on the calls with us because it's a, it's a really great way to hear what we're hearing. And then you don't have to take it from us. And I know one thing product managers, whenever I bring a feature to product manager, I get the question, well, why, why, why? What's the use case, you know? Get on the phone and ask yourself, you know, ask those 10 whys. And, and yeah, maybe I'm bringing you a, um, a solution rather than a problem. You know, if you think of the design thinking mindset, maybe I'm saying you should build this thing and you want to know, well, what the, what's the problem that's solving, right? Well, jump on the call with me and ask the customer yourself, you know? Um, you don't have to rely on your salespeople to maybe understand how to, uh, apply concepts of design thinking. But when we're hearing the same request over and over and over again, there clearly is a need to build or develop in that direction, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And one of the questions that I love asking on the podcast to product leaders is what are the things that you wish you could do more of? Or what are the things that you still do even though they don't scale? And most of them actually say interacting with customers. So you, your team, interact with customers day in, day out. So in a way, having like, understanding that you are part an extension of the product team and, and at the same time, sales also an extension, and products an extension of sales. It's not just two separate teams. I think yeah. it, really, it really helps. Um, I'm a product person myself, at least in terms of mindset. And I understand that sales, at least it's everything, right? It keeps the, the engine going. It's not just about building castles in the sky. At some point, someone has to pay the bills and I understand we have to find the most optimal solution on how to scale and, and whatnot. But the, the, the input that you bring to the table is something that you can't just get with data sometimes. Yeah, uh, it, exactly. Um, metrics will only show you so much. Data will only show you so much. Sometimes you need to hear it from the customer directly and understand it, right? So, Alisa, what are you learning these days? Like, uh, obviously, you keep growing as a leader, but what do you... Why are you personally, what's in your bookshelf? How do you block time also to, to kind of invest in yourself? Yeah, um, great question. So I am, I'd say I'm personally passionate about the art of negotiation, the art of um, understanding how to change people's minds and influence them. 
Um, it's just always been an area that's interesting to me and I practice it literally every day, all day. Um, so I, 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 I like to think of myself a bit of a student of, of negotiation and a student of, um, of opinions, people's opinions. Um, you know, I am actually currently reading a book called The Righteous Mind, um, which my husband actually recommended to me, which uh, is really fascinating because it's 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 more around the framework of politics and religion. How do you change people's minds? But the basic concept is you can't convince anybody of anything until you're starting from a place of mutual respect and understanding. Our, our opinions are really deep seated. Um, and so you can't just throw facts at somebody to change their opinion. It really comes from a place of establishing rapport and trust and understanding before you can convince them of anything, which is super relevant to sales for me, um, right? I always coach my reps, don't just jump into a negotiation. Don't just jump right into a demo. Take the time to build the relationship and the foundation with whoever you're talking to and make sure you have a strong fundamental place of respect and admiration and value before you just start pitching product. Um, so anyway, highly recommend the book. It's great. Um, in general, I'm always just uh, reading or learning anything I can about how people make decisions and, and form opinions. And then at the same time, what do you think that product teams can learn from sales? Yeah, you know, it's, um, it's funny. I always, I always say I wish there were more sales classes taught at business schools and undergraduate programs because it's such an essential skill in life. Everything you do, whether you're asking your boss um, to, you know, approve your product or your feature you want to build, if you're asking for a raise, if you are pitching investors on your product, uh, if you're asking someone to marry you, you know, it does, we, we are always selling in life. Selling is a big part of uh, just day-to-day -day success and, um, you know, ability to get what you want. Uh, and so, you know, I, I do think in general, appreciating the art of sales can help you in more ways than just selling your product. Um, it can make you a more compelling and convincing person. Um, and yeah, I wish, I wish it were taught more. I wish there were more classes on sales. Um, cause it is, it is a hard thing to learn through books. You learn it most by doing it. Um, but when you boil it down, you know, I do think sales is quintessentially just the ability to listen, uh, the ability to mirror or understand what the person telling you is saying, and then the ability to match solutions with, uh, whatever the problems or challenges you hear they face is. And, and th those really are such fundamental skills that everyone should have in their toolkit. I like what you said that a lot of the things that we all do in life, it's, it's a sale, it's a negotiation, and it's also very personal. So I, I hope this also helps kind of remove some of the stigmas around, around sales because it's not just pushing something that you don't want, it's just helping someone really make the best choice. And if you come from a good place, you know, you, you know, I also tell this to, to a lot of my, my sales people, not just not sorry, people, sorry, product and other people like, we are not doing something wrong. Like at the end of the day, the market is going to prove the results because yes, one thing is to close a deal, but then you also have to renew that, that agreement, right? And you also have okay. to see the, the return that, that your product or service had on that other company or person. And there's no way to fake that. You might be able to get the benefit of the doubt once, but not twice. Yeah, no. And I, I, I definitely agree that I think salespeople get a bad rap and, uh, I think the world has evolved so much. I think being a salesperson 
and you know selling bibles versus selling complex software is very different and um you know we have to be so constantly aware of all the information available online differentiation competition um the technical ins and outs of the product um you know it's it's not an easy job and it takes a pretty sophisticated seller to be able to operate in uh, you know, a high tech company in the Valley. So um, I do think we have a bad rap and I'm always working to uh, change people's minds and opinions about salespeople. Um, most of us, the great majority of us are, our goal is to find great companies to stay with for a long time, contribute to those companies, build great products and have happy customers, just like you guys. <laughs> and just to wrap things up, the last, I mean, all the companies you've touched, they they become huge and in some cases unicorn. So I also want to ask you, what do you think is the, the next big thing in, in tech? Where should people be uh, looking at? Yeah, well, it's funny because I always, I always go to the products and uh, engineering friends of mine to figure that out. But um, I do like to watch where the talent goes and wh where people are going, what they like. Um, I do think if you were to ask me what my absolute favorite tool is today, I'm obsessed with Gong. I just think it's, it's just revolutionized sales for me. I don't know how I did it before Gong. It, and anything that really is in that space, so just um, natural language processing around sales calls. So they record your calls, they analyze them. Um, and I was super skeptical of it before using it, but it, it really works. Um, and you, can, you don't have to take scribble down notes. You can go and listen to them later. You can, it analyzes the calls for you. I can, for me, I, it's not scalable to listen to my whole team's calls. So I can just go into the tool and, um, and listen to them later. Um, so that just makes my job immensely easier. So for me, that's, I'm excited about applying natural language processing to the art of sales and, and being able to sort of hack it and figure out here's what works, here's what doesn't work. Um, and I'm always, I always kind of take a little bit of like a growth mindset to sales and, and let's, you know, my team, my, uh, our, our team motto is to iterate. Um, and I always just want people try new things. Like, don't just listen to me. I hate trials personally. I always tell my team never do trials and it walked me, they convinced me that we have to do trials. And I said, okay, you guys are right. I always, my career said no trials. Um, my team convinced me we need to be able to do trials in certain situations. Um, so I've approved that. Now we have a trial process and I was able to say, you're right, I'm wrong. You guys proved me wrong on that, which bravo. <laughs> I'm happy to be proven wrong. Um, so um, yeah, just in general for me, I'm always wondering like, how can we hack the sales process? How can we um, how can we increase our conversion rates? How can we just get better at our craft? And uh, there are tools out there like Gong that are applying data and analysis to the sales process and trying to figure out here's metrics that increase the average sales um, price that decrease the sales cycle, et cetera. So for me, that's a pretty cool emerging industry. Well, I, I don't know if you noticed, but like the, the answer you gave me, like you definitely proved your product mindset because you went <laughs> the, the goal and really trying to figure out how to optimize yourself, your team. So um, it's great. Uh, they actually, I think Gong actually raised a big round recently and now they are a unicorn. Yeah. yeah. Oh, great. There you go. Um, well, I've been <laughs> you're asking yourself, Alisa, <laughs> what are the next companies that we should apply? Cool, but right. <laughs> I know maybe I should go into investing here instead of selling, but uh, <laughs> it's been a pleasure to chat and learn from you. Thank you for listening to the product podcast. If you like this episode, don't forget to leave a review on iTunes. For more product insights, head over to productschool.com.